0: This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcast.org.
1: Start your very own podcast today at JewishPodcasts.org.
0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is Schmoozing with Rav Meir Schiller. Meir Enei Chachomim. Rav Meir mentioned to me just a, a number of days ago, the petira of Menachem Daum, Menachem ben Moshe Yosef Daum, someone who our listeners might be familiar with, a sort of a revolutionary Orthodox filmmaker. But Rav Meir became uh, acquainted with Menachem uh, Daum when he produced his, I guess, groundbreaking documentary film called a Life Apart, that came out in 1997. Rav Mayer Schiller became familiar to many, many audiences around the United States and North America, and maybe the world, who saw him featured so prominently and speaking uh, cogently and with erudition about the Hasidic world. And it was from that point that Rav Mayer uh, connected. And um, I know that you were very, very moved and. Reflective about his passing?
1: I said to the family at the Shiva, that, which I visited uh, Wednesday night, that to me, the world is a little bit of a darker place now that uh, Rabbi Menachem is not in it. I felt very strongly that he brought certain light, certain warmth to reality by simply virtue of existing and of spreading his teachings I think that's a pretentious term because he was always a humble seeker. He was a student of reality rather than an unambiguous interpreter of it. But nonetheless, he did teach. He taught a sense of self-criticism to Jews. He taught a sense of understanding the other. He was not incapable of criticism of the other. So he was the rare bird of somebody who did not approach reality with tribal prejudices, with tribal orientations. And in that sense, he supplied something which I always believed, or at least for many decades, is sadly missing in in orthodoxy, and that is a sense of the other as the other, not simply as a a means to our own ends, but as a reality, as individuals, and even as communities. You see, there are, there are Orthodox Jews that can humanize the Gentile as an individual. But humanizing the Gentile as a member of a community is not so simple. And Menachem went to places where others do not dare go or emotionally cannot go. For example, his trips to Poland, which were mostly oriented towards Polish non-Jews or his work in Eretz Israel, The Ruins of Lifta, in which he tries to organize a joint Jewish-Palestinian effort to clean up and fix up the cemetery in the town of Lifta, which was destroyed and stripped of its population in the 1948 war. His trips to Poland increasingly focused on those Poles who have been trying to repair Jewish cemeteries and Jewish history in Poland. So these are all steps way beyond what many of us are capable of doing. And in that sense, I think he provides a a missing element in, uh, in the lives of all Orthodox Jews. And one might be so bold as to say, all of jewelry and all of mankind as well. I think the the attempt
0: to create bridges is even more uh, remarkable when one considers his life story. He wrote about it in a piece that I saw, I think, in the foreword from a couple of years ago, where he really talks about his parents and their background and what was scorched in his memory from his father's descriptions of life in pre-war Poland, but especially post-war Poland, the cruelty that the Poles exhibited and the attitude that was so thick in his home of how terrible the Gentiles had been. His ability to specifically push against that, I think is, is incredible. But don't you find it interesting that he connected with Shlomo Karolbach, that Karolbach was, was somehow the arrow that pierced the veil for him.
1: Yes, because he accompanied Reb Shlomo in a trip to Poland, which he had assumed was going to be a trip to the remnants of jewelry left there. But when he got there, he discovered that those remnants of jewelry were, by and large, not so interested in retaining their Jewish identities, and that Reb Shlomo, the 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 task was going to be to reach out to Poles and to bring them the karl message of uh, of love and respect and not to dwell on their 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 past sins, whatever they might have been. And he was very taken by that model of Shlomo, was there to encourage heightened religiosity and compassion amongst Polish non-Jews. So that really shook him up. I think
0: when Menachem Olvesholem uh, tried to understand by talking to these Christian Poles, many of them, I guess, spoke English, uh, they told them that they were actually doing this as sort of like almost an act of rebelliousness, that they were trying to sort of not be boxed in to be known as the collaborators, not to be known as the Jew haters, and in fact, to actually reassess what Judaism was about. And it was, I guess, from from those series of concerts in Poland that I guess it planted the idea with Ramanachim to perhaps reassess and without covering up the sins of the fathers, but to recognize that there is a Tselamelokim humanity that that cannot be ignored. Generally, you know, we Holocaust children, you know, many times reserve for ourselves the right to 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 consider ourselves victims and to justify anti you know what we see as anti-semitic behavior and you hear that bandied about all the time now people even who are grandchildren of holocaust survivors he actually did the opposite right as a holocaust surviving child he was the one who could say i can make you know like i can make peace
1: and this i think maybe we should tell the listeners this was to a large extent the theme of his second film hiding and seeking in which he led his family in a pilgrimage back to poland to locate the non-Jewish farm family who had hit his grandparents in a barn during World War II, where we would have been, they would have been killed if they would have been discovered that they were protecting Jews. And he wants to locate that family and he wants to thank them and maybe give them some money. And that's the theme of the film, that pilgrimage. And his dialogue with his sons on the way there, and how they're discussing this trip and how they understand it. And it's an extraordinary film. I I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to tell our listeners that. Obviously, he does discover the family. Otherwise, it would have been no film. So it's, it's a fascinating, intriguing story of his trying to go back to this Polish family and how the Polish family explains what they did. They basically said it was just natural. These people were going to be killed. We had to protect them.
0: Even the title itself for mayor, hiding and seeking, on one level, it seems to be, oh, well, my f- it parent it – it was actually his father-in-law who had yes. been hiding. And the seeking, of course, was the seeking of of his family to seek them out. But right. I think in, in in other ways, the title means something else. And that, of course, is the whole insular Jewish community is hiding from a truth, especially his sons who were learning in Kailo and you know, I'll put on my, my, my film – uh, appreciation cap you have to in, uh, appreciate what Radovsky, his collaborator brought to the table and i'm sure menachem also uh, had a great role in it but the idea of building the suspense even though you say it, it it isn't so much are they going to find the family the question is will his children understand will yes. will the children who are the basically uh, they stand for the orthodox world today the children who are been raised in the yeshiva system, the ones who weren't Holocaust children directly, but who have what has been distilled to them is is goy hatred, and they they assume that you can't right? That they assume that there cannot be any positivity, and if there was a yotzadoifen who did it, you know, it was it was some sort of. It's only that individual, as opposed to humanity or the country, for sure that spawn those people. And I think that's really to me one of the most important parts of the film is to see what happens how his kids crack and 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 how the camera which does not lie as we know and is able to show the uh, what alters in their perceptions when they discover the spot where they were hidden. They reach for the, uh, the Siddur in order to make the brocha of Shoaso, Aviseinu, Nisim, Nesbimoka and they scream it out with great kavana. But to me, where their masks have to be taken off is where they recognize that this Polish family uh, has acted out of inherently humanistic Christian charity.
1: Well, I often add. Uh, at this point in a discussion about that film what would have happened if the roles would have been reversed if let's say uh america decides to round up the haitians in in spring valley with a goal to bring them to concentration camps how many of the hamish Olym in in spring valley would protect them Upon a risk of death, if uncovered, and how many of our Rabbanim would say, well, you're even allowed to do that. So the penetrating kashas that Menachem unearths are not just the explicit ones, but also the implicit ones. In other words, how much do we possess the universal morality for which we often fault the non-Jew for not having how much do we have this actually ourselves? And there's an, in the third film, the, the Ruins of Lifta, he brings a Holocaust survivor that he knows from New York to meet with the Palestinian. Dasha Dash Rittenberg. That's right, meeting with Yacoub. I don't remember Yacoub's last name, but Yakub was a child of a family that had been chased from Lifta in 1948, 47, 48, and they meet, and the first time they meet, there's a very poignant, powerful scene where he wants to bring uh, Yaqub into the hotel to meet Dasha. And he says, I, I won't go into that hotel. Menachem says, why? He says, because it's built on the ruins of some other Palestinian village. I won't go in there. So finally, Menachem relents, and he brings her out to meet him in the, in the van, and they begin to speak. And she says, um, you know, where did we have to go after Poland? We were thrown out. You know, we came to our old homeland. And Jakub says in response, says, yes, but why did my father have to suffer from that? Why did he have to pay the price? He had a home here. Why did that have to happen? And again, I'm not going into the intricacies of who is at fault with the wars in 47 and 48. That's a whole separate question. But simply the powerful nature of this meeting and he says to her, you could have asked the Poles or the Germans, says, well, why did my father have to pay for this? with essentially, it was his life. He got sick after they were chased out. So again, and Menachem's not giving you any final answer there. As in much of his work, there's a, a lingering ambiguity about it, lingering nuance, and he's not giving you final answers, but he is asking very serious questions.
0: He's not a pedagogue or an ideologue. Although it's interesting from some of the clippings that you sent me from the obituaries, you almost got the sense that he was. I know that uh, the forward had a uh, from Jeanette Friedman. She wrote a a, a uh, an obituary for him, and it seems like you know they were very happy to to claim him as one of their own. And uh, I guess the yeshiva world or Borough Park uh, news today didn't have much to say about Ramanacham Menachem He's not getting anywhere close to press that Rav Matasio Solomon did last week.
1: Right. Well, first of all, the one Borough Park uh, website, which did cover it, judiciously omitted any reference to the Runes of Lifta. I think they were able to live a life apart, although a life apart does have a few critical moments. And uh, they were mentioned hiding and seeking, but the Runes of Lift, I think, was a bridge too far for the Borough Park uh, news outlets to talk about. But in any event, I think the important thing to remember about Menachem was that, and I said this at the Shiva, I think what Menachem needed was a bit more of an awareness of models of Torah Judaism that he would not have found as troubling as those which he encountered in the Gerber diebel or Lakewood, or he was, that would he have known a bit more about German orthodoxy, or certainly German orthodoxy before Rav Schwab shows up in Washington Heights, or if he would have known a Rav Baron And there are models out there that I think would have made Menachem's living within the bosom of Orthodox, which he did live in. He did live in. He was a Miss Paul in the Gere Stiebe, and he was made films about Ramea Shapiro. He was there, and he raised his family that way, and his children were like that. But I think would he have known of more expansive models that maybe it would have softened the pain which he experienced, but all he knew was sort of the doctrinaire Left of the, the Jewish doctrinaire leftist press on the one hand, and on the other hand, he knew of Baro and Lake Buddhism. So that made the choices very difficult and painful for him. And he drifted a bit m- too much, in, in my opinion, and we disagreed about this a great deal. He drifted too much into that worldview. He was not able to find a place. In between those two worlds
0: you're talking the the worldview of a sort of a what we'll call for for lack of a better term right now a left-wing humanistic
1: yeah well and I, I don't give them the term humanistic so easily i think they pick and choose as to which humans they want to be humanistic too but yes that that's what i mean that world the world of the forward the world of tikkun that that world he found there what he was searching for in terms of an embrace of humanity but, you know, at, at at what cost? But here's where it gets so nuanced. He cherished his Jewish identity. He didn't move to an identity-less forwardism. He was still rooted in his father's, I think it was Zonska Wala was the name of the town in Poland that they came from. And he still cherished Meir Piron and Yeshira's Lublin. So, again, it was never... Easy. He didn't just drift off into some sort of, you know, McGovernite leftism.
0: I, I think it's it's hard to strip away the elements that shape you, and it's clear from hiding and seeking, and even more so by the beautiful way he brings his father to life in the forward article, the type of covet he had for the Dor it's worthwhile almost as a primer of Kibbut Av to watch hiding and Seeking's moments where he is visiting his father who has had a stroke and the way he talks to him, the sweetness. And of course, when a person's on camera, you always sort of second guess how honest he is. But that's another thing about Menachem. He's not Laurence Olivier when he narrates, but he, no. is, he, is, he is very much a true person. You sort of know in your guts that he is not acting or faking for the camera. So his cover that he showed for his father, his his talking to him, uh, the way he moves towards him, is is really is really quite quite incredible. And the cover even for his chevere as well. If you look deep enough, even a, a film that he made before the big splash of A Life Apart. Was a film that was in his wheelhouse, uh, which is what a uh, that was his profession was a gerontologist, and he made a film about caring for the elders. And it right. seemed like this was a a great concern of his of of not letting the significance of that other generation wither. So this this was really something that I think uh, informed his life, and I think because of that, Mayor, I think that's gonna it would be difficult for such a person even he was getting the accolades from the forward and everywhere else to say, okay, these are the people I'm with. These are the right. people that, right. That would have been a betrayal of not yeah. only his, his youth, but you know, the, the, the deep seated passion of
1: what made him tick. Totally, totally impossible. The other thing is that his affections went in the other direction. He was a very devoted father, grandfather, great grandfather, and, is love to spend time with the Enoch and love to be involved with his children. So even though, as one of his sons said to me at the Shiva, we agreed over the years to disagree, but the bonds of affection were always there in both directions, both towards the earlier generations as well as to the later generations.
0: I I saw in the foreword it mentioned that uh, he loved kayaking with them and taking them on wonderful kites, adventures.
1: Yes, 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 all true, all true, and yet always concerned that they not be, as he would have put it, poisoned by the anti-Gentilism of the traditional Haredi world. So he wanted to keep both those things going, which was not an easy task, but that's why I think he's such a an inspirational and important figure. So I guess, as we
0: are sort of suggesting this conversation as a tribute slash Hespit to him, what would you say is, from your perspective, is that legacy that we can learn from?
1: That God is the author and creator of all humanity, and that by virtue of that simple fact, we owe empathy and care, concern, respect for others, not only as individuals, as I said before, but as members of groups. This is much harder for Jews to do it as members of groups, to understand where they're coming from and to extend the hands of respect and reconciliation to them. I think that's the lasting legacy. Accomplished doesn't necessarily mean radical communal change. Accomplished can mean changing the hearts of individuals. And when you change the heart of an individual and make him more open to understanding the other, that in itself is beloved by by god so whether or not orthodoxy is now radically altered now nah, i doubt it but on the other hand many individuals did have hearts and minds opened by menachem and that itself is a is a nachos ruach history is not static if somebody would have landed us in uh, 1913 europe and begun to paint the picture of what 2023 or 2024 Europe or America looks like. I cannot begin to say how that man, who you would have spoken to, that hypothetical man in 1913, would have said, everything you're saying to me is insane. None of this will ever happen. And history has its ways. And a great example I give of this is, if you would have told somebody in uh, 1900 that there's going to be massive, Orthodox education for girls. <laughs> I would have thought you're if you would have told them that there's going to be massive education in Gemara, because Gemara was once the privilege of an elite in all of Klai Israel. Well. So again, we don't know where history is going. We don't know where history is heading. We don't know where Israel is heading, where America is heading. It's a very, uh, it's a junction point in history. So uh, Menachem's legacy may yet live, we may yet discover, as we've discussed in the past, of Hirsch, we may yet discover of Lichtenstein or of Amital. So uh, uh, we're not ruling out anything. There may yet be yeshiva, may yet be yeshiva, as we have dreamed of in other podcasts. There may yet be yeshiva which embraces the totality of humanity. Don't count Menachem Daumism out yet
0: seems like a beautiful way to end today Mayor. but you know the, there's a interviewing part of me that can't resist picking a scab here and that is the your statement that yeah you had your disagreements with him as much as you found a kindred spirit there were certain things that you felt he had perhaps willfully ignored and we shouldn't necessarily let his vision be the complete one.
1: Yes. Well, as I said before, I felt that he was a little too quick to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it came to the Torah community. And that, as I mentioned, he would have been better served by exploring those options. Uh, Although whenever he heard of anyone within the walls of the Torah community who had a more humanistic perspective, and I introduced him to a few. He was always delighted to meet them, and it did soften somewhat the harshness of his critique. And I fear, although you know, I, I never heard this from him, but I fear there were maybe some areas of the uh, the current zeitgeist that were directly antithetical to Torah, and you know, he might have succumbed there a bit to uh, to going after the baby with the bathwater. And I think one of the final. Critiques that I had, and he was open to this. He was always listening. He was always open. But I think that the modern world has decided that humanity is divided into the oppressor and the oppressed. We've discussed this. It's been Israel's fate in recent years to fall into the category of the oppressor, and therefore, all of popular opinion, dictated by Big Brother, is that Israel's now the oppressor, not the oppressed. And as I said to somebody. For those who worry about the suffering of groups, there's scant discussion of the butcherings of Afrikaner farmers in their circles. There's scant discussions of attacks on Rhodesian farmers or Zimbabwe as it is today, or even, you know, massive crime and violence by the oppressed against the oppressors. So again, I think Menachem's worldview was somewhat shaped by this contemporary division of all humanity into oppressor and oppressed. So again, Menachem needed a somewhat of a broader map when it came to that. I, I, I would just say that that he was a human.
0: And, and f- it's hard when you, you know, <inaudible> when you have someone who, who praises you, when you have someone who takes you to their bosom and, and yeah. extols you, yeah. It's hard for that stuff not to rub off despite – and again, you know, and it's hard for you not to want to share with them, especially since they are the ones who are your biggest fans, the ones who are in a way giving you the most accolades. It's hard for you not for some of that leftist mentality not to rub off. So again, as we all are influenced by by the community that that loves us because otherwise the praise – and the covered might also be specious, right? So because if this is the community that's praising me, and I, I like that, so maybe I should really be more involved, and maybe they're teaching me about this sort of split between oppressor and oppressed. So
1: again, I, 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 to put it, I... To put it in personal terms, I would say it's always difficult for a Rebbe to discipline the kid who gives him a lot of respect and love in the context of the she'er. We're, we're all we're all subject to uh, falling in love with those that love us.
0: I'll just add, in a, in a small way, Iwina Shmossay. I read that he started off as a as a hobby to film weddings, uh, to be a videographer, to use this modern means of a safer, the modern means of zikaron, basically movies. But records are powerful. When they make use of drama, when they make use of action, when they make use of suspense, when they make use of really all the uh, ingredients that Hollywood and other filmmakers from all over the world have recognized as what's a good movie in in many ways in this century that you mentioned this nineteen thirteen till today, we are the are, are the are the generation who absorb. Through this film medium. And Daum recognized this and the power of that to do it in that subtle, important way. I would hope that more Orthodox yeshiva, chevra, can follow him. Of course, you could say, well, it's Bittlesman, it's Bittlestera, but we know that there are messages and, and stories that need to be heard. If we allow not just the Zeitgeist of the left, but the, we allow the total the world out there to control this, then we won't be able to produce our own records, which are important, our own svarim, so to speak. So, yes, he owes he owes something to Thomas Edison and maybe Hitchcock and John Ford, but this is a a legacy, a legacy of of movies, a legacy of documentary films that I hope that there will be others who will follow these as sort of like, this is the way we should do it.
1: See, even dramatic films, not necessarily documentaries, dramatic films as
0: well. But, and we know that this is happening, Mayor. I haven't gone to any, but we know that the, the every time, every year, a month or two before Pesach, the Jewish newspapers are filled with the Chalamoid movies that yeah. are being produced, uh-huh. many of them in Yiddish as well for for the Oylem to go watch.
1: Well, to take Ush Pizan a few years ago, right? I have a <laughs> a Christi- a, Christi- a friend who once said to me, it would have been better if she would have come home without having become pregnant. She would <laughs> have come home anyway. That would have been even a greater shot at the end.
0: And, that, and from that, I guess we could learn from the ambiguous type of ending. So I would say that, right. you know, Down is a, is a pioneer in that way. You know, my, my grandmother, who was a Holocaust survivor herself, Used to sing me to sleep with the song, Roschenglach and Mandlin. And one of the things that, that was, that I remember so importantly was, Svorim will Schreiben. right? That was the last yeah. line. And, and Afrumayid will Avramilla bleiben. Yeah. Um, I would say that Svorim, we can perhaps, with Daum's contribution, we can expand what these Svorim are. Yeah. That the Svarim was, was, was uh, every Yid can scribe. There's, of course, the safer of his life, is of course the Hadushay Torah. And there's also what Daum showed, I think, a, a direction in these films. And you're right, just like every safer, it's a lot of hard grunge work to get it done, like podcasts. Like podcasts.
1: <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yes. You know, I, I just add a positive thought here that I think, as in many other areas, the, the, the religious Zionist world in so is open. To uh, more artistic creativity than is the uh, the creative world in America or in Israel, obviously. So, again, you have to keep your eyes open. A lot of their journals, a lot of poetry, a lot of theater, things are happening over there. So, uh, have to, we, which are we are not just
0: which are, which are not just two dimensional morality plays.
1: That's correct.
0: All of his films are much more than two dimensional. No one is a two dimensional figure. What I worry about is that the Frumvelt self censors itself in a way and doesn't trust its audience. And the films that might be generated, they, they can't have that ambiguity, which which is really the key to self discovery and growth. It doesn't
1: trust its audience in terms of honest history. It doesn't trust its audience in terms of anything. The world must be two dimensional or it's
0: not going to work. <inaudible> Neshama should have a, he should have a lichtik 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 flickering and powerful. And he's Mahubar with his, with his illustrious, his illustrious, that he loved and cherished so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. Until next time, Shalom.